ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I am your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Pulkit Agarwal, co-founder and CEO of Chameleon, and we're going to talk about engaging in product experiences. This episode is brought to you by Zeppelin. Design tools can do almost anything, and with Zeppelin, they can go even further. Don't spend any of your time preparing design files for your team. Just let Zeppelin do it for you. No more dealing with unnecessary layers to show user journeys, explain intent, or organize screens. Get started for free at zeppelin.io. Hi, Pulkit. Hi, Jane. Yeah, very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And yeah, love talking about in-product experiences, user experience. So looking forward to a really good conversation. Before we get started, Chameleon is a fairly famous onboarding tool, but give us a brief story, how it started, how long you've been out. And I'm personally interested what you've been doing beforehand, before starting it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the origin story came about because I was learning how to use Asana for a project and I found myself on two screens, one where I had Asana opened up and a separate screen where I had the Asana help center open up and I would find myself (laughs) switching back and forth a lot. I'd read a part of a help article, then I'd go into the app and then I'd try to do that thing. I'd go to the video, I'd play, pause and recreate it. And it felt a little bit like, well, is everyone doing this? Like surely this is something that's causing tons of drop-off for people using Asana, why don't they do more of this inside of the application? Just when I do things, give me the right suggestion or tip or prompt to help me take the next step. And so that's where the idea came about of, well, you know, why can't we make user onboarding much more dynamic and personal? And when we started speaking to other folks, we found that we heard a lot of common problems. People knew that user onboarding was really important to drive long-term retention and success for the product, but thought it was a really big project and it felt like an overhaul each time. They'd have to get all these cross-functional teams together. It would take a while. And then once they did it, they wouldn't look at it again for another year because it was like, oh, we just fixed our user onboarding. So we wanted to bring a more more kind of iterative approach to it and also um, prevent it being bottlenecked on engineering, which obviously is always really constrained in SaaS companies. So that's how we came about with the idea of Chameleon and um, it seems to be resonating. And so, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we found that. As a UI UX person, I do come from a conservative background, and I do think that in-app onboarding guides and things, they don't always work. So I would love to hear, as a founder of such tool, what are the best use cases when this is helpful and when this is not helpful? Yeah, great question. You know, I agree with you. They suck in so many cases. <laughs> and I often find myself dismissing in-product tools. When I get start a new product, I sign up for something and it like hits me like right in the face. Like, oh, go through this long 10-step tutorial before I get started. I'm like, no, get out of my way. And I think that's the thing that we... We, we, let's get comfortable with that. That's just bad design because when I come into a product, I'm really excited and I'm, okay, I want to try this thing. I've, I'm, you know, I've got some goals and I'm in this frame of mind where I'm exploring and I want to play. And if I get hit with an in-product tour right then and there, it takes away so much of that excitement and self-discovery. And so that's why it's normal for people to not engage at that point. We actually were running a webinar 
And we asked folks this question. We did a poll. We said, how many people dismiss welcome tours on the first step? And you won't believe how high a percentage it was. It was 91%. So that shows that, and this was this is a product audience, right? So um, it shows that actually that doesn't work well. But that doesn't mean that in-product experiences can't work well. It's because a lot of it is about how well you design them. So we can talk more about this going forward, but the use cases that you can leverage in product is almost akin to the things you can do on email. Like, you know, you're from an email background. And we, the way that we think about it is that email is really great for many use cases, which include if someone's not engaged or not in your product, or if you want to motivate somebody to, to learn more, or there's stuff that they can read long form or watch. But when you want to have people take actions in the moment, they have the context, they're trying to accomplish something. And you, they need a little bit of information or they need something to get them over the hump. Sometimes like that's the right thing to think about with an in-product experience for because it's right there. And then they can take, they can learn, they can take that action and get over the hump. So that means that there's a broad set of experiences where you want people to take action. It could be around onboarding and getting set up. It could be around adopting a new feature. It could be around experimenting with a new upgrade or trying out something new it could be around deflecting churn there's many use cases around it but it's about a channel using product as a channel to drive engagement and growth as a founder of a SaaS, you probably find yourself educating your customers and your audience about the subject matter so what have been those key talking points throughout the years that you try to communicate and i i want to bet a lot of money that those talking points have gotten simpler over the years because you start with like, I'm going to educate everything to everybody. And, and now you're like, I'm just going to tell two things and that is enough. So what are those two things? <laughs> oh, the two things. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. Two things. Here we go. One thing, less is more. So okay. <laughs> that means that instead of creating a long tour, like a six step tour, because you're trying to show off everything, create a two or three short experiences or keep you know if you're going to have two paragraphs of copy compress it to two lines of copy and so wherever you can people don't want to read a lot they have short attention spans they you know they want to scan stuff so less 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 wherever you can so that's one and the number two is focus and that's something you probably heard for everyone giving advice is to focus and so that means Go deep on something, make sure it's working effectively. Whatever your use case is or whatever goal you're trying to accomplish, let's say it's improving trial activation or let's say it's improving the adoption of a specific feature, go deep and make sure it's it's actually successful before you start doing lots of other different use cases. Sometimes people have the tendency that they have this new channel suddenly or they want to use it for marketing and upsell and churn deflection and, and feature announcements and engagement. But really recommend folks to be successful in one thing and show that and then move on to the other things. What do you feel is the common barrier for activation in your tool? Do people struggle with the technical setup of things or do people struggle with developing the strategy on like what to highlight and what to write about? Yeah, I think there's multiple you know, points of friction or you know, one obvious one is that our product requires an installation a code installation. Now, if you're using something like a CDP, like Segment or FreshPaint or something, then okay, then it's code free, but it still requires an installation into your product. And so that is a, uh, a friction point because that means you either need to involve other people, you might have to do an engineering vetting, you might have to have security vetting, 
Um, you have to get other people on board. So, so that's natural, and that's natural for every product that requires installation. Another activation energy required is once you have things installed, there may be cases where you need to learn a little bit about how elements on your page work. So one of the things that Chameleon offers is the ability to highlight an element or a part of your page or to attach a message or a tooltip to a certain part of the page. But what's going on underneath the hood is that actually we're looking at all of the different components or elements on the page and identifying which one to attach to, which one to highlight. And sometimes our customer base isn't familiar with what how a page is built under the hood. Like what does it mean to have CSS classes? And how do you define elements on the page? So there's an activation energy there where you have to learn a little bit. Maybe we try to do a, a good job of getting it right, but sometimes you might need to adjust it. So that's, I would classify as kind of technical activation energy, which is like, oh, maybe there's something that's you need to learn a bit more about the product and how it works there. And then beyond that, I think, you know, once you've got to a point where you've installed, you've been able to build something that you're comfortable with, and then you're able to publish it, there is potential activation energy where you want to make sure it's working as expected. And so you want on a test as a different person, or you want to make sure it's gone live in different situations. So that requires a little bit of getting used to, like, you know, you might have different things showing to different users based on who the user is, where they came from, other data about the user. So it takes a little bit of, you know, so there's a little bit of energy to make sure that you are able to test effectively. And then after that, I think the hardest energy is to make sure that it's working well. So how do we close the loop on getting the data out of the system in the right way or incorporating into your other ways of doing analysis so that you're able to successfully understand like you know what's going on and how can you improve? Let's talk about that last step uh, because I find it the most fascinating. How do you exactly understand the performance and uh, would the ideal A-B test look like people being onboarded without the tooltips or towards versus people being onboarded with tooltips and then trying to compare results at scale? Or is it iterative so that you're comparing your previous version to your past version? What is the best approach? One thing that I've used to hear more, and I don't hear as much now, but I think let's tackle that, is that good onboarding is is intuitive and you don't need any any in-product experiences, or these are kind of crutches, and actually you should just improve your design. So that, I think, is a thought that's thankfully leaving, you know, as, as a, is, is less popular now. And it's because it's it's pretty simple. If you're, if there's anything new for a user, it's it's by definition not intuitive, because it's new. It's something they have to learn. If you follow the same terminology, same patterns, same design, same everything as something else, then it will be intuitive because the user has experience with it. They're familiar with it. They know how it, it should work. And so when you're introducing new concepts, there's always going to be a bit of a barrier and, and someone's going to have to learn. Now, how you teach them, there's many ways. You can use existing patterns to uncover uh, so people can you know, understand how something works. You can, But one normal pattern is dynamic help, which is a tooltip that shows up only when a user hovers over it or a banner to let you know that, oh, this is how this is going to work, or this something is changing. So I think of this as a UX pattern that you should use as a UX pattern in a dynamic way to help people learn new things, whether that's the product broadly when they're first onboarding, or specifically a feature, or some terminology or taxonomy, etc. So I think that's the first thing to tackle. It's like, I don't think it, the goal is not to have tooltips specifically. The goal is to drive conversion and success for your users. 
And so you should be measuring what that is and looking to either, you know, either if you, you know, benchmark against something else or you feel like, hey, we want to just improve this uh, to some preset target. And then it's about what are the tools that you have in your armory to try and help you get to that point. And I think even before we get into too detailed A-B testing, I would recommend kind of control group testing of testing something versus nothing. Um, so start broad and say, okay, well, I want to drive improvement for this funnel step. And I want to experiment with having this thing versus whatever was there before. Uh, and you can do that in sequence if you don't have very many users going through, or you can do it in parallel. And then once you've identified that, yes, a UX pattern changes and does improve conversion in a way that I'm happy with, let's say it's a banner or let's say it's a modal or something, then you get to the next level of A-B testing, which is, okay, well, let's optimize this pattern in ways that would drive even more conversion. So maybe it's modal A versus modal B. But initially, I think it should be, you know, does something improve it versus the existing status quo? rather than going too deeply into A-B testing two variants in the beginning. Let's do a walk through the intervention that are available in a modern tool set of a SaaS person and those that your app offers. For example, you've mentioned tool tips, there can be modals, et cetera. So tell us what's available and most importantly, what works better in which situations? Yeah. Okay. Well, of course, it's a very, very vague question, but please give your best. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a vague, vague answer to match. But yes. <laughs> so what patterns are available? So I think with Chameleon, it's think of it as like it's a you get building blocks or components that you can use and you can shape and color and style them in whichever way you want. So the first piece of it, it's an overlay, it's something that sits over your application. So it, it's not yet embedded or inline. But over means that it can be next to an element because you can attach it to an element, or it could be just over the element. It can take up space. It can it can shroud or or, sh- or create a shadow over some elements. So in that way, you can have it as it's a, it's an overlay. And then what it looks like, well, you know, these are just the terms like banners or modals or slide outs. A, there's no specific consistency around them, and B, they're somewhat subjective. So um, you could have a a banner that's actually much taller than a banner. It's like a half page banner or a bottom banner, or you can have a modal that's maybe on one side of the screen, or you can have a modal that's really squished and slides out from one side of the screen. So, or you can have a, a modal with a pointer arrow that makes it look like a tooltip. So, you know, there's no, there's not hard lines between these different types of patterns. Really, you get a canvas and you can decide you can pick and mix, you know, what do I want in that? And whether you can have media, whether it's video images, you can have highlighting elements, um, you can have interaction components. So for example, the dismiss option, you could choose that to snooze an experience and so that they come back to it, you know, reappears after some days. You can choose that to be auto dismiss, which means it counts down for some time. If someone doesn't interact with it, it automatically goes away. So these are just flavors of, for example, of components that we offer. Another example is buttons. These can be really powerful. With buttons, you can do a variety of things. You can fire a click on an existing element on the page, or you can redirect somebody. You can start a microsurvey, or you can op- launch a Calendly modal in the product, or you can send update some user data in your system. You could tag that user that clicks that. 
you could send a webhook that then triggers an email flow. So, you know, these buttons are pretty powerful and customizable. So we're basically giving you these components that allow you to build UX without requiring any engineering time. And of course, all of this is targeted to users based on where they are on the page, who they are, where they came from, what activity they have done or haven't done. So that can get you, you know, the, the tooling to be really hyper-personalized with what you're kind of communicating to your users. I'm curious, historically, in the first year, your MVP, what types of components did you have first and which were added later? Yeah, so in the, in the beginning, we had more distinct variants. So we had a modal style and we had an info tip style. We had a hotspot style. And I think we might have had one more, but we had like four very distinct styles. And then, you know, as we worked on this, we realized like, actually, there is no specific reason why a modal can't also have a hotspot, you know, that's pulsing or a you know, an info tip can't also be on the center of the page. So we then try to remove some of those constraints. Now we still provide templates, so you can create your own template and then reuse that template again and again, but they've, they've become a lot more flexible. And we modeled it on what, you know, bigger teams had built in-house. And I think it's a really good way to think about SaaS tools of the future is what are big teams building in-house that small teams don't have the capacity to build in-house. So we worked with the head of product growth that, Atlassian, who really built their own in-house system for this. And we learned from them and say, hey, well, what did you do and what can we learn? Because not every company is going to be able to build it in such a sophisticated way as Atlassian. Um, and, you know, and obviously, if you build a SaaS solution for it, you can go way deeper than any company can build in-house. So, yeah, that's kind of how we started. It's just looking at kind of what people are doing today. And, and we, in fact, we also have today on our website an inspiration gallery of examples from around the web of how other teams are creating in-product experiences and both on content-wise, style-wise. And that's just a way to, for folks to see kind of what else is everyone else doing. And we also take inspiration from that and say, hey, well, what are people building and how can we make those things easier to build with Chameleon? I'd like also to mention one of my personally favorite resources is uh, PageFlows. It's uh, pageflows.com, I think. They don't have specifically Chameleon stuff, but they have great video recordings of numerous mm -hmm onboarding experiences, which I enjoy reviewing if, um, if I have a specific task, you know, to design something. So Yeah, great. And I, I learned a lot from useronboard.com as well. We, we work with Sam Hulick. Oh, his, Sam, his yeah. Team as well. <laughs> but it's just like, I think the, I think folks that are planning on building in product experiences, I would highly recommend they go and check out a bunch of those flows because that will teach you a lot about just basic UX patterns, principles that I think are, are very valid and, and relevant when creating in-product experiences. Any company or product are particularly killing it or doing something revolutionary with their in-app experience, or you don't really follow those trends? I think there's a couple of things to talk about. I think games are often the best at onboarding people. It's very, very built into the gameplay. A really simple example, I'll give a couple. So one really simple example that most people are probably familiar with is Super Mario. And, or the, the idea that, you know, when you first start and, you know, I've been playing actually Zelda Breath of the Wild on the Switch and that's amazing. And I mean, there's so much to, to learn from games, but Super Mario, you know, it's a, you start on the screen with Mario to the left. That means Mario can only go right. So there you go. You're learning, okay, well, I have to go right. Right. And then and then you see this one brick and you're like, well, what do I do with this brick? Can I jump on this brick or what do I do? Can I? It's in the air. So you're like, OK, cool. And so then you learn to jump and then you learn to hit the brick. And then you're like, oh, so you, you learn in a very kind of layered way 
how to play the game or the tools you, you have to play the game. I think SaaS and web applications are pretty far from that today, but they're trying. And I think there is scope for, you know, I don't like the, the, I don't like the word gamification necessarily because it feels like it's a, it's a dark art to try and like fool people into doing something. But really the point is how do we layer on learning over time? And so that can include thinking about empty states and what's a way to incorporate empty states or like signposting the first action to be done. I think, of course, everyone is pretty familiar with Slack and, and how well it did its onboarding. And a couple of things that I'll pull out from Slack that I, I liked and that I think are worthwhile. One is that it really doesn't make it very heavy handed. It's very much like signposting, like, oh, here are channels. Go create a channel or check out some channels. Right? It's, it's just like that signpost, and then it lets you do that action. It's not about, hey, let me teach you channels and threads and preferences and Slack, like everything. You know? so, that's, so that's one thing. Another thing that I think Slack did really well is that its suggested help or tips are very bright. Like whenever you see a feature announcement from Slack, they're like bright green, bright purple, bright blue. And it's such a contrast to... When you see tooltips in a normal SaaS product, they're like white with no styling and kind of pretty ugly. And I think Slack has just really been confident about its approach and said, hey, we we know that this is going to be helpful to you and we're going to stand behind it and we're going to make it look beautiful and we're going to be confident and proud of this piece of help. So I think going into it with that approach versus like, oh, really defensively, like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I have to show you this tooltip. Um, but don't look at it if you don't have to, and only some people look at it. You know, I think that doesn't portray the best, you know, doesn't put your best foot forward. So I recommend that we learn those things from Slack and, and be really, you know, confident about the things that we need to teach. And if we don't need to teach them, then not to have them in the interface. I feel like Slack, well, apart from being a very widely used example, they also have the benefit of being a chat product themselves. So they do have that natural challenge, channel at their advantage. And this is kind of unfair to compare them to everybody else especially that they're like the only one widely successful <laughs> yeah that's i mean that's why i didn't reference any of their slack bot onboarding yeah that like that maybe isn't really applicable to most products but at, outside of the slack bot they they still use a bunch of kind of tooltips and announcement patterns that i think is relevant to other SaaS applications what would you say about the use of video inside a product uh, what is the most effective way sometimes and we struggle with that a lot. The main wisdom exists outside the product, and you want to tell that first, but how do you even make the user watch that video, even if it's short? My thoughts on video are that it can be a very engaging tool when it is not for like a how-to explanation, but it's for a conversation with somebody on the team. So we use video with almost like an interview format where somebody is speaking to you and explaining to you like what the best practices might be or how we do something. We're, in fact, on our demo page, we've just added a video, really short 30 second video, um, which explains what you will get in a chameleon uh, demo call. If you book a call with somebody on our sales team, it's somebody from our sales team talking about what is it that we, we typically cover on calls. And, it's, and that, that's the kind of video that I think is going to be effective is when someone is speaking to you and you can engage them and it's a production in that way versus like, oh, here's a really intricate, let me show you how things work. Now that can still be effective, but in those cases, I would recommend that you 
put those videos in a place where somebody is opting in by themselves or self-serving into learning more. So if you are prompting people to watch a video, then I recommend making it such that you're improving their motivation by speaking to them, their use case, best practice. And when you're trying to show how to use a product in a how-to video, then you do that in a way where they can select or opt into watching that video. So what you're not doing is prompting people to watch this really intricate like how-to video, which is like going to be really disengaging. To be fair to your competitors, uh, could you give us an overview of uh, other tools that available are available there alongside Chameleon and uh, your professional overview of them, like yeah. <laughs> what yeah. they can do and what's your unique advantage and what's their unique advantage? Yeah. So I think, you know, there is a lot of choice, of course, and we, we are trying to do some things differently. Let's start with kind of maybe the, the bigger company, which is WalkMe. Now, WalkMe started off its origins mostly around internal training for Salesforce applications or for Salesforce and sold to sales teams to help them better use. Uh, and I think that's pretty pretty much kind of where its heart and soul is. It's it's a training application or an LD applic- application, often for employees and often working well with really large enterprise applications, whether it's SAP or Salesforce and the Oracle ecosystem, et cetera. And it's it's a pretty sophisticated product. I mean, they have a learning academy or university. So, you know, you, if you, you you have to get, go pretty, pretty deep to be successful with it. So, you know, that's WalkMe. Pendo is another uh, major player. And Pendo's taken this approach that in product experiences, and analytics, and frankly, other things like road mapping should be together in one holistic suite for product managers. And so that you can do everything in that tool. They kind of offer analytics, like native product analytics, and offer some of what we offer in product and do kind of road mapping as well. AppQs is another product that's, I think, modeled in a similar way. They are uh, also recently offering product analytics alongside in product experiences and so it feels to me that they are you know really competing competing with pendo in that way i think for us our approach is not to do the same as that i think our approach is that we want to be the best and deepest solution for in product experiences that is sophisticated and complicated both around you know around showing the right patterns around getting more and more technical and working with all kinds of applications whether single page apps or various other technologies like shadow doms iframes etc um and and we want to be the best at all of that um real-time targeting and triggering what we don't want to do is be a really broad solution that does that does some of everything and so what we do instead is rely on partners such as product analytics Uh, we integrate deeply with amplitude mix panel heap is you know segment fresh paint, all of these different tools, because we, the data we collect, we share with these tools. And we think the future is really that you have deep solutions that do one thing very well uh, and own that space. And so, you know, as you know, we see more even cases of Snowflake and others being the data source, we want to send, make sure that Chameleon data goes to that place. And for you to use whatever existing tool you already use for an analyzing product or analyzing your data. 
and we plug into that stack. Similarly, you know, we have that same approach, for example, with uh, integrations with Calendly or Typeform or ChiliPiper or other things like that, or even Zendesk for, uh, um, you can start a Zendesk chat messenger or you can uh, link to Zendesk help articles similarly with Intercom. So we, we want to do one piece really, really well and we want to let the other best-in-class solutions do their pieces really well and just tightly integrate. So that's our approach. Um, I think it's it's understandable you know, that it won't work for everyone. Um, if you don't have an analytics product or you're not willing to invest in that, then maybe you do want a kind of a broader solution like a Pend or an AppQs. Um, but I think for us, we want to work with the best teams that are using the, the best stacks. What are the most common mistakes that people do with your tool? I think common mistakes, probably similar to what we already talked about a little bit, which is focused on outputs rather than outcomes. So you're kind of like, okay, well, I know I need to just announce this feature. So let me make an announcement. But there's not then the closing the loop of like, is this a, was this announcement effective? And how could I make this announcement more effective? And how can I iterate on this next time? So I think sometimes, and it's understandable, smaller teams just don't have this time and capacity to really um, dedicate, you know, and invest resources. And it's really a little bit more output focused. And some of it is understandable. People are like, okay, well, I know I need to do this anyway. So, but that's one, I think one thing that is, you know, I'd encourage folks to be more outcome oriented. The second thing is like starting you know, thinking about this as a uh, as comedian as, as like, let me show you or give you a tour of the product. Let me show you all the features. And so folks who are looking to improve their user onboarding or activation or engagement, they think like, well, people are bouncing because they haven't found value. That's That makes sense. And so they're like, well, how do I help them find value? Well, let me show them everything that's valuable. It's like, okay, well, this is like a 10-step tour of our product. But the problem is from a user perspective, they're not really looking for everything that has value. They're looking for solving a specific goal or you know key thing that they came into the product for. And there's probably something that has stopped them getting to that goal, whether it's friction in the product, whether it's lack of motivation. And so what's much more effective is really getting a better understanding of why it is that users have come to your product. What is it that they're looking for? And maybe there's different personas looking for different things. But understanding that really well and then providing very specific targeted support and, and guidance or nudges or prompts or you know tools for those users at the right time. So that's the, probably the second kind of big mistake is instead of having this general product tour of everything, having you know a more specific you know focused uh, experience for, for, for users. At our product user list, we do have in-app notifications as another channel alongside email, but we draw the line and don't offer chat. And I think you do have a similar thing. You do offer messages, but not chat. And you also don't do help desks. What's your reasoning? How did you decide to do one and not do the other? Yeah, I think similar to you know the, the philosophy we have around analytics, like we want to be really good at something that we think we can own and not bite off things that we will do an average job at. I think over time, data piping is becoming better and better. And so the traditional advantages that products had when they were all in one are not as relevant anymore. Before it's like, okay, you have an all in one product that does everything. Well, that's great because you can, you know, you sync all the data, et cetera. But now that doesn't need to be the case because you have all of these different APIs that bring connections or, or, uh, tooling, whether it's like Fivetran or Tray or, or Zapier, et cetera, that bring uh, different products together. And that's only going to get better and better. So I think uh, that's our approach is like, well, help desk, there's other great teams solving that problem. 
and ticketing, that's a whole nother world. And there's so many different workflows. Are we going to be the best at ticketing as well as the best in product? Like that's hard. So that's why we're, we're focused and we want to have the fastest product velocity for in-product experiences. And so that's kind of how we focus. But again, we do integrate with Intercom and Zendesk and HelpScout and all these other solutions. I'm surprised we never mentioned Intercom as the elephant in the room when it comes to all-in-one and doing email and help desk and in-app messages and everything. Wonderfully for a very big price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Intercom is, is probably almost an outlier in a way in how they've approached their strategy. You know, they've gone, they went broad quickly. They, they kind of do a bit of everything. And we, you know, we're customers and we use it for some pieces, but we've also transitioned off it for certain pieces because it doesn't provide us the depth that we need. Um, and so I think it is, it's great as a starter tool. It's great. You can go pretty far with it and you can do uh, a lot with one single tool. But I, we see a lot of companies as they grow, they end up like buying kind of more sophisticated point solutions for each, each of those pieces. But the other thing on Intercom, I, I must say, I think they do a fantastic job as a company on incremental revenue. Uh, every feature is like locked and it's yes. all of it is self-service <laughs> and you just like, okay, I'll pay an extra 20 bucks here and a 50 bucks here and a hundred bucks here. And you, and you just keep building up your, your bill. And it's amazing because most other companies, you have to like talk to some salesperson for an upgrade or it's like very distinct plans. And their pricing has always been very complicated. It's like, wait, I can't, I've never been able to get my head around. Like, what am I paying for? But once I'm in, it's like they've done an amazing job at driving that uh, that incre you know, incremental revenue from customers. So I think that's a good example for other SaaS companies that are looking to do something similar, which is how do I grow my revenue per customer? And I think it's something that we, we look at as well. It's like, okay, well, we're building all these new features. How do we you know, drive value from these new features? I think Intercom is a good example for that. I also think they did a great job. They've been doing a great job over the years. It kind of quieted down a little bit as I think they have focused on enterprise sales, but somewhere in the middle of their career, they produced books, uh, desk trainer, did talks and other stuff. That was inspiring, wasn't it? Yeah, I think they've done a really good, I, I mean, I have a couple of their books connected to Des on LinkedIn, so I always get his updates. And uh, I, think they, I think their product marketing function is great. I, so I think, they, I think they do a good job of so many things. And I think they're, they're, they're a good um, role model for many startups. And we definitely take inspiration from some of the things that they've done. So yeah, great, great company, great product. What are some of your favorite blogs or books or other learning resources when it comes to user onboarding and in-app experiences? Yeah, good question. So I already called out useronboard.com. They have a you know, massive library uh, of UX uh, tips and suggestions and in a really engaging way. So I, I would recommend like, you know, for someone that wants to fast track, you know, learning, just go and spend an hour going through their case studies. And you'll learn a lot. And I think similarly for growth.design, they have really, really, really compelling case studies, which bring in the element of user psychology. And that's something that I'm really interested in and something that draws me to the work that we do at Chameleon is really how do we engage people in a way that they want to be engaged? And so the growth.design folks, Dan and others, like really help bring that out in a very accessible way, in a really fun way. So I'll, I'll shout out to them too. My last question to you would be, as we're wrapping up today, what has your biggest discovery been since you started Chameleon and uh, compared to what you know now, like what you had never anticipated about the industry? So one, one thing that I've learned and that something we were surprised by 
is that a lot of folks are building experiences without really understanding what the pain point is from a user perspective and not knowing the difference between, for example, the aha moment and the magic number. And the difference is the magic number is from a product perspective. Like what is the metric that helps drive someone to be engaged? And Facebook, you know, there's a popular example, like, you know, I think it was seven friends in a week or, or some, some version of that. Right? But the aha moment is different. The aha moment is not seven friends in a week. The aha moment is seeing a photo from a friend, right? The aha moment is getting a reaction to a post that you have. So the aha moment is from a user perspective. Um, and so I think one thing that I've seen and learned is that there's not a sufficient understanding from a user perspective. And that's partly because we're all using analytics to try and dig into what's going on for a user. But really, analytics don't tell you the why. They tell you the where or the what, which is like, oh, people are dropping off at this step or people aren't taking this action. But why are they not taking that action? And I think that hasn't, it's difficult to know because there really isn't any user research at scale. And mostly what happens is you do user research in small projects or you do kind of small sets of interviews at the start of a project. But product teams are not regularly getting feedback from users in a scalable way. And, and that's one of the reasons we introduced microsurveys as a product offering. And microsurveys allow teams to ask very targeted single question or ask single questions in different parts of the product based on who the user is, where they are. And that allows you to collect this feedback at scale, which then can inform how you then re-engage users or the kind of guidance and, and, and experiences you create for them. So I think just the learning of like, wow, the the piece around shipping and building is pretty lean and quick and iterative, but the piece around collecting feedback and closing that loop isn't very lean and iterative today. And so I think microsurveys is our attempt to help make that better. And it's seen a lot of traction. And I think there's as much value in, in that as there is in kind of in, in showing people what to do and, and where to go next. So I think that was an interesting learn, learning. And I think that's something that we're trying to lean into even more over time. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom today. It's been great. Where can people find uh, you online and learn more from you and from Chameleon? Yeah, we, so there's a ton of material on our, our website. We have a great blog. We have an inspiration gallery. We have benchmarks report that reference kind of like the expected conversion you should ex you should see or what the average response rates are for microsurveys. So there's a ton of stuff uh, on the website. You can get a lot of that uh, if you visit trychameleon.com forward slash UI breakfast. So we have a special dedicated landing page. We'll send you a pack of different things um, for around designing better in-product experiences. So that's trychameleon, T-R-Y-C-H-A-M-E-L-E-O-N.com forward slash UI breakfast. Amazing. And as far as yourself, are you on social much? I am on LinkedIn a little bit. I am a consumer on Reddit and Twitter and other things, but I'm not a poster, but I do post on LinkedIn. It's a good place to find me. My name is Pulkit Agrawal and yeah, happy to, happy to connect. I'm pretty open to, to, to connecting. Amazing. Thank you once again and uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Yeah, great to chat. Thanks, Jane.